Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. I had the chance to chat with Gary Wilkerson of World Challenge the other day, and he provided some insight into the pressures that pastors face and how Christian leaders can take steps to protect their hearts. Then, Leslie Montgomery has composed a faith-based biography of Vice President Mike Pence and relates insight learned from a number of people familiar with him, his Christian walk, and how he applies his faith to the work that he does. Also, in light of recent mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton, psychologist Greg Jantz elaborated for me about some of the forces at play that make young men susceptible to committing heinous acts, and that includes the spiritual element. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, it's motivational speaker Damon West, who shares about God's transformation in his life while in prison and discusses the analogy of the coffee bean regarding the importance of influence. Finally, Crystal Bowman is perhaps best known as a children's author, but she and her daughter-in-law have approached an adult subject, infertility, in a book that includes stories from some 30 people, including how Christian faith principles were helpful in walking through that struggle. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Gary Wilkerson is president of World Challenge, a ministry founded by his father, the late David Wilkerson, who also founded Teen Challenge. Not only is the ministry of World Challenge involved in providing humanity, not only is the Ministry of World Challenge involved in providing humanitarian aid, but the Wilkersons have ministered to thousands of pastors throughout the years. In light of a recent announcement by a high-profile author and pastor who declared he was no longer a Christian, Gary discussed with me the pressures that adversely affect pastors. Here now is Gary Wilkerson. I've been in the ministry for 40 years. Uh, during these pastors' conferences, I've spoken to probably more than 70,000 pastors, and a lot of that is after the teaching session, just coming down off the stage and, and uh, just listening to a story of a broken-hearted pastor, of a family falling apart, of, a, of uh, somebody falling into immorality or struggling with their, their faith. And that's what apparently Josh Harris maybe was facing all of those. Um, my mind goes to First Timothy 4, uh, verse 1 and 2, where it says, in, in last days, uh, many will depart from the faith. So, so we're not meant to be surprised by this, that, that this is something the enemy's going to try to do. Uh, and he's not going to try to do it just to a few of us. He's going to try to do it all of us. It's it's a it, there's there's no exception to this. There's going to be something to come into our faith that will try to get us to depart from it. Uh, but uh, but Paul tells this young Timothy as he's discipling him says you know there's a reason for this is and and he gives two reasons. One is and the first one is not paying attention to yourself. And I think that's profound um, that 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 the struggle that somebody like Josh Harris Joshua Harris has has gone through. Uh, um, it can come from this sense of of not paying attention to yourself, uh, to your to your faith, to your to your uh, not paying attention to where you're being tempted, not paying attention to where you need to fight that, not paying attention to the community that you're surrounding yourself around when you're being uh, when you're going through doubt, when you're going through discouragement, when you're going through <clears throat> battles. Um, you know, tying tying in with First Timothy four is is Matthew thirteen where he says that. You know, there's various uh, soils that the seed falls on, and sometimes they begin to take root. But then, uh, and one of them says there was no firm root, uh, and and when trouble came, uh, it, it was snatched away. And so, if you tie those two things together, trouble coming, and not, and then with Timothy, not paying attention to yourself. And so, you know, maybe trouble comes into a marriage, or trouble comes into your mind, um, difficulty faces faces you, and if you're not paying attention to yourself and to 
And I would say part of paying attention to yourself is not just a personal pursuit, but it, do you pay attention to yourself in the sense of soul care, of community care, of, of getting the kind of help? Um, there was a time in my life a couple of decades ago where I was going through a real crisis of faith. Doubt was 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 just um, crushing me. And I started going to the wrong sources. I started reading books by uh, Sam Harris and these other, they call them the New Atheist. I just wanted to hear sort of a, a different perspective because I always, when I would have these bouts of doubt, would I would always go, okay, let me read C.S. Lewis or something like that. But this time I, I took a different uh, turn and thought, well, I wonder, you know, maybe, maybe these questions of doubt have merit. And so let me let me look at what, what it would be to, to be an agnostic or an atheist and uh, you know, so I started, and, and really, you know, uh, it, it, was a, it was a really tough season for me. Spiraled down into, it wasn't. I never became an atheist or an agnostic. I stayed, stayed true to the Lord. But uh, it was definitely when trouble came, um, I, went, I, I was not paying t- attention myself in the right way. And then the second part of First Timothy four, one and two is not paying attention to your doctrine. And so, um, you, you know, if your doctrine starts slipping and you start believing things you didn't believe. Uh, the Old Testament calls it, remember the ancient paths. And if you start getting off the ancient paths and into some new winds of doctrine, uh, you've got to go back to paying attention yourself. And, and for me, that means, well, okay, what's going wrong? Because this is not just um, an intellectual uh, battle going on in your mind. It's almost always a soul battle. And it usually has something to do with, um, again, like for, uh, Matthew said, uh, when, when trouble comes, that that's where... Um, you know, the, our, our doctrine gets shaky when trouble comes. You know, you know even even the Old Testament says uh, a fool says in his heart there is no God. It's not in his mind. He says it. You know, and we we want to intellectually battle and 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 believe. Well, what do we believe about these kind of truths? Or you know, in Joshua Howard's mind, he's obviously battling about marriage. He's battling about uh, the homosexual community, and some of these questions are are are, are troubles in his mind. And um, without a firm root and a foundation, without paying attention to your doctrine, when you begin to see these things slip, if you go to the wrong sources, uh, if, 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 you, if, you, if, you, if you don't look at your heart and, and, and start, you start saying to yourself, wait a minute, this, this, and that's what I did in my, how I came up out of that spiral of, of uncertainty was, was to say, that that's, just, that's just a foolish heart. That, that's, I'm just not paying attention to, 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 my, to the heart that Jesus has won and with his love and and uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's powerful when, when you come back to that. Gary Wilkerson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website worldchallenge.org. Next up, it's Leslie Montgomery, author of the spiritual biography of the Vice President of the United States entitled The Faith of Mike Pence. In our conversation, she shared about the insight into his Christian faith walk that she relates in the book. Here now is Leslie Montgomery. When I felt led by God to write The Faith of Mike Pence, I was kind of leery at first. I was like, really, God, is this really the book you want me to write? You know, I didn't know anything about him except that he was our vice president and he claimed to be a Christian. But as I dove into this project and started to do research and started to do interviews, and when it was all said and done, ended up doing almost 60 interviews, I found that this really was a man of God. This is a man who, from the beginning of his relationship with the Lord in 1978, was sold out to Jesus. I mean, he dove right in. His friends and and fellow fraternity brothers who were instrumental in him coming to Christ said it wasn't a step into salvation that he made. It was a leap headfirst. 
And he dove into the Word of God. He dove into prayer and made it a, a solid, you know, commitment to Christ. And um, I, when I find somebody like that, I am passionate about telling their story. And I can honestly say that writing the faith of Mike Pence I was encouraged, inspired, and challenged in my own faith. And when I walk away from writing a book like that, it, it is just so encouraging to me in, you know, in my life. Well, as you began to study, of course, people are familiar with Mike Pence as vice president, of course, before that governor of Indiana, also serving in the U.S. House of Representatives. I also understand he used to be a radio <laughs> Host for a period of time. God he bless was. him. <laughs> so, so what seemed to be the common threads that that stuck out to you as you began to do your research? You know, he has always had a real servant's heart. From even as a young child, he, you know, he was raised as a Roman Catholic, and that wasn't just a common theme in his family. You know, in Catholicism, that's one of the main threads. You know, is that you serve the community. You serve as a family. Um, but that was a gift that God gave him to be a servant, to be a leader. And um, he always sought ways to do that in whatever profession he was in, whether it was in radio, whether it was as the, as the president of the Indiana you know, Policy Review, and then um, as a congressman and then governor and now as the vice president, you know, he's always seeking ways to serve. And I'll, I'll tell you about his heart. You know, even when he was a congressman, you know, fellow staff and his employees would say he was always the one in the rope line who was reaching over to pray for people or reaching down and tying shoes, or he was always the one in line who was handing out cups and silverware and plates and and if one of his constituents had uh, lost a family member or was in a tragedy he was at their house and he was praying for them or calling them and um if if somebody was in you know a tragedy overseas he was going to their house and praying for them if there were people who um were protesting outside of his office he'd take them coffee and donuts he wouldn't send one of his staff members out to do that. He'd go out and take them, you know, coffee and donuts. And, and protesters would say, why are you doing this? And he'd say, well, you have a right to do what you're doing, but I just thought we'd be kind about it. And even he'd have people on his radio show, Democrats, who would, who he would ask tough questions, and but he was never combative. They loved to be on his show. And the people that I interviewed, it wasn't just friends and family, you know, who are going to say nice things about him. They were also people who were LGBT advocates and pro-choice advocates, and they, everybody said the exact same thing about him. They said, he's a man of God, and he's a man of integrity. I mean, I often wonder if I just pick 60 people in anybody's past, people who don't agree with your morals, people who don't agree with your faith, people who who don't agree with, you know, how you know, your views on any given subject, would they all say that about you? Leslie Montgomery here on the intersection. Learn more at authorlesliemontgomery.com. Next, it's Greg Jantz, a psychologist who founded The Sitter, a place of hope. In our conversation, he discussed some of the factors, including the spiritual, that should be considered in reflecting on why a person would want to take the life of another or of multiple people. He's written a book called Healing Depression for Life. Here now from that conversation set against the backdrop of the El Paso and Dayton shootings is Greg Jantz.
You know, it's always very difficult, uh, though we've had to talk about. But even though we've had so many shootings, we we can never grow numb to the significance of this and the lives that are forever changed. So when we look at the shootings, and we look at who and how would they ever do such a thing? How do we get to that point? Um, I know there's debate right now. Some say it's a mental health issue. Uh, others say no, 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 no. It's not. It's of gun control, etc. But we need to look at. There's also the influence of of evil in a person's life, sure. And evil knows no bounds. So we need to. There's a spiritual side to this as well. There's a darkness uh, for a person to uh, prepare themselves to murder others. Something has to happen in that individual. So I'm going to call it mental health issues plus a lot more. So sure. um, so we can look at this and go, okay, what is going on? Well, we know that uh, each of these individuals that end up uh, harming others have moved towards that destruction of others, and they've crossed a line in their, in their mind where they're no longer dealing with reality, and this is where the evil influence can come in. So they're dealing with, um, uh, usually there's been significant trauma in their in their background, there's been significant um, depression. Uh, we'll see lots of depression and anxiety, usually some form of addiction. Uh, it, it could even be an online addiction, but usually addiction's in the picture. And then you'll notice that 99% of all shooters are, are young males. They're young men. And we look at that, and universally, something has happened where they feel a sense of betrayal and or rejection, and in their mind, the only solution is revenge. So how, and as you you mentioned some of these different factors, how do you find generally, and if you can apply it specifically to these two individuals, what did they open themselves up to? You mentioned the presence of evil. How did they become susceptible to acting on that that sense of evil that apparently had really pervaded their lives? Well, we do know that uh, there's um, maybe some issues that have happened, of course, in, in, in home life, um, though I want to be careful, we're not blaming a parent, we're not blaming sure. anyone, because this person has to take responsibility for what they did. Um, but there could be this issue of trauma, this d- rejection, maybe some academic failure, a sense that I don't fit in anywhere, a sense that I've been hurt by others, maybe I've been bullied. Uh, we know that a great deal of those that turn destructive towards others have been victims of bully behavior over time. And this is my way of being powerful, in control, and I'm going to show you. So that's that that revenge. So uh, we do see similarities among shooters. And to what extent did, and this this is a, I know, a, a subject that you've dealt with quite frequently, when you look at this distorted reality or this being divorced from reality, to what extent can or does technology actually play? For instance, the suspect in the El Paso shooting, Patrick Crucius, wrote on social media, I spend about eight hours every day on the computer. 
So yeah. how much does that play a role here in this distorted reality? We need to look at that and go, okay, what's influencing? We know that uh, if you're already depressed and anxious, the more time you spend online, the more time you get depressed or, or the more it increases depression symptoms. The more time that a person who's vulnerable to being destructive and harmful to others, they're going to find uh, more and more support. They're going to find an online world that is both supportive and an online world that they, they can feel very powerful. Remember, we can say and do anything online, and most people will say and do things online that they will not do in person. Greg Jantz here on The Intersection. His website address is aplaceofhope.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, there is a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can also find the podcast in that Media Center, and you can subscribe to it via iTunes. Plus, through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations with guests featured on the Intersection podcast could also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of other apps. Learn more when you visit the Faith Radio website and the Meeting House homepage. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Meeting House homepage through the programming section. Well, next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's motivational speaker Damon West. He is the co-author, along with John Gordon, of a book called The Coffee Bean, A Simple Lesson to Create Positive Change. In our conversation, he discussed God's transformation in his life while in prison and discussed the analogy of the coffee bean regarding the importance of influence. Here now is Damon West was running around Dallas County Jail while I'm waiting to get shipped to prison asking guys how am I going to survive this place because it's a real big unknown to me. I mean, I've got a, a college education. I've got this great background, this great life, but none of that helps me at this point. I need street knowledge. And every guy in county jail is telling me that you're going to have to get to a gang to survive this. But there was this one guy, this older African-American guy, I called him Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson gave me the analogy one day about the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. He said to imagine that prison was like a pot of boiling water and that anything we put in that pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure in there. And so he went to the progression that the carrot turns soft when it goes into boiling water. The egg turns hard. His heart gets hardened, and he becomes incapable of giving and receiving love. Like a hard-boiled egg, inside he turns hard. But the coffee bean, he said, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said the coffee bean, the smallest of those three things, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot and create new energy. And so that was the basis. That Hmm. was kind of a blueprint of a map of how I was going to get through this process. How did you get out of prison early? The easy answer is that I made parole. But the real answer Hmm. is that God opened that door because there's nobody else that can open that door. Look, Bob, I got a life sentence. And you get a life sentence, you're expected to do quite a bit of time on that thing. Now, just because I came up for parole, at, you know, around six years doesn't mean I'm going to get out. 
but God opened that door for me. And, and, but I, I largely think though, Bob, that it has a lot to do with the transformation that I made inside that place. You know, I was with Dabo Sweeney yesterday uh, at, at Clemson university, speaking of Clemson's football team. And Dabo told me, he said, Damon, you can bloom where you're planted. He said, God can come to you anywhere. He said he was running up the bleachers one day at Death Valley in the stadium, and he saw a weed growing out of the top of the bleachers, the very top. He said, now, how did that weed grow there? He said, the weed bloomed where he was planted. And he said, that's exactly what you did in prison. And, Bob, that's what I did. I, mm-hmm. I got into prison, and I surrendered to God because getting sentenced to life in prison was a rock-bottom moment for me. I'm an addict, and that was what's called a rock-bottom moment. And I realized then that, that something had to change and that something was me. And so – I went through prison looking for ways to become that coffee bean, trying to become the coffee bean and, be, and come back in, from prison as someone that my mother and father recognized as someone that God would be proud of me being. And it and it took a little while to get my traction, and, and it was a huge test of faith in there too. But in the end, God carried me on His back, just like in Footprints in the Sand, Bob. I mean, Footprints yeah. in the Sand was what my mom would always drill into me because she had that on my wall as a kid growing up. And I went through prison, went through there, and and transformed the world around me inside that prison. And everybody took notice. The inmates took notice. The guards took notice. And, and even the parole board took notice. And when I went to see parole for my parole hearing, the lady that was reviewing my file, the parole officer reviewing my file, she, you know, she told me, she said, Mr. West, I don't see a lot of inmates like you that have the kind of support system and have the kind of background that you have. She said, I've got just one question for you. She said, if you could be remembered for being anything in this life, give it to me in just one word, go. And because I had God driving that car in life now, because I was just a passenger on the way in life, and because I learned how to pray when I was in prison, because my prayer that I said in prison is the same prayer that I pray today, Bob. I I pray for two things every day, and it was the same thing I was praying for in prison. It's God put in front of me what you need me to do today for you, and let me recognize it when I see it. And that's the only thing I pray for. And because I had God out front like that, I had her answer for her immediately. And I fired right back off at her, Bob. I said, useful. I said, ma'am, your one word is useful. I just want to be useful. I said, I can be useful out there or I can be useful in here. Wherever I am, I, I just want to be useful. I just want to be an instrument of God. And they let me go. They let me. They gave me, they said, we're going to give you one shot. And, you know, do not come back. Anytime between now and 2073, or we'll keep you until 2073. And it has been since that release from prison that I have found so much love and forgiveness in the world. And God's God's love is like a blanket around me because, you know, so many things have happened in my life that I call God things. You know, the job at the law firm is God thing. The opportunity to get to speak in front of a lot of people is God thing. I get to go back into prisons. And uh, speak to inmates where I think I have the most currency probably of anywhere I go because, you know, I've been one of them. Damon West here on the intersection. You can find out more by going to DamonWest.org. Well, finally, on this edition of The Intersection, Crystal Bowman shared about the book she's co-written with her daughter-in-law, Megan Bowman, called Mothers in Waiting, Healing and Hope for Those with Empty Arms, offering the viewpoints and stories of 30 individuals who had struggled with infertility and the hope they found through Christ in the midst of their journeys. Here now from that conversation is Crystal Bowman. Well, my daughter-in-law 
who's married, obviously, to my son, um, they went through a very long and dark and um, very difficult infertility journey. Meanwhile, my other kids are popping out babies left and right. My older son and his wife had three kids in two years. They ended up with twins, and um, they were they they carried a lot of their grief internally and quietly. And I was really impressed with the way Megan could celebrate, you know, the news of 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 the siblings and and how she even gave baby showers for my daughter-in-law. But I knew that her heart was hurting and that this was a very uh, dark time for them. And um, she felt that during this time that they were struggling, that she felt very alone. She didn't feel there was people she could talk to. Um, I had found a few books for her and she said, yeah, they're really good and they're well-written and, you know, I love the woman's story, but it's just her story. It's not my story. And, and when we got talking about it, we said, you know, this infertility journey, it's so broad. There's such a variety of stories because it's, it encompasses way more than not being able to conceive. It encompasses miscarriage and, um, uh, you know, a lot of other things. And uh, so I said to her, because she wanted to write a book, and once she finally did have their miracle baby, and they ended up with two miracle babies. Oh, great. She said, she said I want to give women something that I didn't have, something that I was looking for but couldn't find. And so what we did is rather than just tell her story, which, again, would just be one person's story, we interviewed 30 women, and we told 30 different stories. So the unique feature in this book is that it is so broad, it reaches, it encompasses everything that infertility is about, and it includes, you know, miscarriage, adoption, foster care. We even have two contributors who are have remained childless and how they have found um, their place and their purpose in life and how they have brought children into their lives. And um, so it's, it's, I, we're excited to offer it because we feel that any woman or couple who's out there going through that painful journey of infertility, and nowadays what's very common is secondary infertility. They have one child and then it seems like they're not able to conceive again. So for these women um, it gives them hope. It gives them stories that they can relate to. And we like to call it a group hug. They're going to know that they're not alone. Even though they're not going to meet these 30 women, they can read their stories. And the desire of the women, um, ages 30 to 65, I mean, we've got a real variety in here. The desire of the women, those who chose to share their story, did so because they just want to walk alongside that woman who is walking that lonely path. What did you find to be maybe one or two of the most common elements of people along this journey? Um, that was what really jumped out at me as we were collecting and writing these stories is, first of all, um, the loneliness that they felt, feeling like even though they know they're not the only ones on this journey, that's what it feels like because all they see are, you know, pregnant bellies and the, the social circles that they live in, it's 
baby birthday, you know, baby announcements and and um, birthday parties, and so just that feeling like I'm I'm the only one who's unable to do this. Um, and then the other is that surrender that God is in control, and e- each woman touches on that. Um, and we we structured, even though the the stories are very different, we structured them so that they all follow the same format. It's my story, my struggle, my strength, and my scripture. And um, so each each story sort of follows that outline. And what came through all of these stories is that God is in control. God is in control. And that surrender um, to God and that he may bring children into your life, but it may be different than what you had in mind. And um, so I think those those are the main things that came through. Crystal Bowman here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website, crystal with a C, bowman.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. Also, conversations from The Meeting House program can be found through the Faith Radio app or through a variety of other apps. Learn more when you go to The Meeting House homepage. And the Intersection Podcast can be found through the Media Center as well as the Faith Radio app. Plus, through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You can also learn more through the Faith Radio app. Learn more about downloading it for your smartphone or tablet by visiting faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.